did you have anything to do with the uh, pilots, that, the white pilots who flew the uh, bombers when you were on the ground? No, we had our own field. Each group had its own airfield, and the bomber wings were further to the south, oh, maybe several miles, 20, 30 maybe. They were scattered out, and the fighters were generally closer to the enemy. Not much. We were all grouped well behind the enemy lines so that uh, they couldn't just fire artillery over there and hit our airplanes. But uh, we didn't see them unless we were on rest leave. Uh, and saw them maybe at Naples or Rome or somewhere like that. Was there any, any interaction? Well, uh, we had a good reputation because of Benjamin O. Davis's decree that we will stay with the bombers. You will stay with the bombers. And uh, so the bombers, that's fine. That's what they wanted. They loved us. Now- Because uh, you took care of them. Right, right. So what you did was, is whenever a bomber was attacked or anything, you, you fought them off. Right. So we were them, see that they got to the target and part the way back, as far back as we could bring them, gas permitting, and uh, from enemy fighters. And were you in heavy action? Oh, not too much. Uh, <clears throat> the, I flew 66 missions, but the times that I actually was in close, uh, what you might call Close combat. Yes, uh, where there was likelihood of a dog fight was about six or seven times. Now, our biggest uh, concern as far as being killed was on a strafing mission. When we would get a mission where we were, were not escorting bombers, we had to go in and shoot up something, usually an airfield. And around the airfields, they had lots of guns and, and aircraft. So when you went on a strafing mission, you were uh, certain someone wouldn't come back. That's when it was a, a quiet mission. Nobody said anything too much on those missions. They were too worried. But uh, the, the, the bummers, well, we didn't have any trouble with the fighters when we saw it. Uh, we relations were good. I'll say there was there was no uh, trouble. In fact, we had a, a, a while there where we exchanged pilots. We had a pilot to go and fly with this uh, white group, and they sent a pilot over to fly with us, two or three. Did on, on they would fly in the, in the bombers? No. No. These were fighter exchange. Oh. This fighter group would send a pilot and uh, we would exchange pilots. And uh, we just fly airplanes to the field and take off with them and they would fly theirs over. And, so uh, there was respect. That was an guys. experiment, in, I guess you'd say, with the experiment. It was okay. It, uh, See, the Tuskegee would call it a Tuskegee experiment, the whole thing, wasn't it? Right. It was, it was an experiment and, uh, like I say, it was supposed to fail according to the uh, military. But somehow, they kept it going until it 
<laughs> it proved itself. And uh, then I guess you say there was nothing they could do. But the bummer pilots thought we were great. They really did. And this was why, because I tell you, uh, if at this time the the uh, the Germans didn't have much gas, and they didn't put many fighters up. They couldn't afford to fly a lot of airplanes. So what they would do, they had radar. When they saw, uh, picked up bombers that weren't escorted, they would send fighters up to shoot them down. Mm -hmm. And if the bombers had escort, they avoided them. So by staying with the bombers, our presence just about, you know, kept them from being attacked. Yeah, did you get leave? Leave. Leave. Oh, after, so, after so many missions, I don't know how many, uh, we get a, what they call a rest leave, mm -hmm. rest and recuperation. Where'd you go? We went to Naples at this time because for the most part Rome wasn't, yes it had been liberated, but Naples was the big metropolitan area uh, directly across on the west side of Italy from where we were flying. How were you all accepted over there? Fine. Fine. I think maybe you might want to settle there? No. Did, did anybody, I mean, really, really accepted enough? I don't think uh, anybody did. I don't, I don't know of anyone that did. Mm -hmm. No. Uh, no problem? But... I mean, you, you could go anywhere you wanted in Yes. It's wartime, and most things are all torn up. The people are poor and, and uh, trying to make it, you know, and here you see all kinds of uniforms because it seemed like the Italians had many different uniforms, and, but they were just walking around now. The, the GIs were, the, were, were the, the most you saw. And uh, we had a little it was a restaurant with a hotel on the hill. The hotel was on this side of the little street and the restaurant was down. This beautiful thing overlooking the bay. Mount Vesuvius on the far side. Sorrento, Pompeii, and uh, what do you call it? Capri. All this, you, you know, you could see it on a clear day. And a harbor full of ships. Well, it was a beautiful, beautiful place. That particular site that we had now, but they had rest camps all over Naples, I'm sure. Little uh, places where the guys could come. I was in the hospital in Naples. In fact, the latter part of my stay in the hospital, uh, I had another guy would get out and uh, get a pass and walk around uh, in the vicinity. Did you have a problem, any problems with the, the white American troops? Because, like you say, were privates or corporals or sergeants and you were officers? No, not, uh, no, not really. In combat, a lot of this spit and polish is dispensed with. And if you see a private and he's walking there. He may salute, he may not. If he doesn't, nobody gives a hoot in a way. 
and uh, because we didn't salute uh, officers, uh, superior officers ourselves, as far as, you know, any uh, respect is concerned. But uh, in conversations with them, they generally respected the rank. I don't say completely, maybe they didn't, might not have uh, been as snappy as it had been with, say, uh, another white officer, but uh, it wasn't that. Yeah, and then we didn't come in contact too much. We were in our little wheat field here, and the 52nd Friday Squadron was further north over here, and there wasn't any roads in between, so we were sort of, we were all sort of isolated. Self-contained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right, what would you like to tell me, or what would you like people to hear that we haven't talked about? As far as the war effort was concerned? Yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, one of our crowning events is the fact that uh, all the time we escorted these bombers, we never lost a one to enemy fighters. Not one. What was the record? Yes. That seems to be exclusive. Now, <clears throat> there was another thing that uh, uh, Wendell Pruitt and his wingman, who is not from St. Louis, did. They had been on a mission to Yugoslavia and to strafe some mm -hmm. troops, but they didn't see the troops. And coming back, they came back over the city of Trieste and right on the, the, the just low level and as they went out to see there was a destroyer right in front of them they had no choice and they just started shooting and it blew up uh, 50 caliber machine guns blew up a destroyer and that was in my opinion, uh, it seemed like one of them should have gotten a Silver Star or maybe the Congressional Medal of Honor. But uh, all they got was a Distinguished Flying Cross, which uh, we got those for, well, just a little above ordinary. And uh, this is no other record of destroying the European theater being uh, uh, sunk with, uh, by a fighter airplane with 50 caliber machine gun. But that was one of the downsides. In my opinion, I thought that uh, it should have been much more to do about it. There probably should have been. And uh, in fact, uh, Pearson, the other man in the flight, one who actually blew it up, mm -hmm. had his camera showed it, his film. Uh, Pruitt set a fire. He started a fire when he passed, and then Pearson came along and he fired on it, blew up. Well, the uh, pictures of it, the gunnery camera uh, pictures, uh, are now in the record somewhere because they, uh, they got a film and it showed this incident, but they had removed Pearson's name from it. They didn't say, you know, First they had his name, he says, and then uh, Lieutenant Pearson and the date, and Bloom. Then they, but they removed his name, it was just a, a fighter mm -hmm. blowing up a destroyer. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I really am sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, I brought, uh, people asked, what did you do? And uh, I destroyed two uh, airplanes on a strafing mission. They were on the ground. We were shooting at them. That's uh, the extent of my uh, claim to fame, so to speak. But uh, I, I tell people that we go on a mission, we come back, and this day Colonel Davis was supposed to leave the mission. He asked me, I was deputy, he asked me if I could bring the group back together for once. And uh, because as soon as the bombers get separated, we get separated, and then they, when we leave them, nobody bothers to try to regroup halfway home and come back together. So it boiled it down. We went on the mission, we did our job, and we rendezvoused at Dancona, Italy, circled there until we all got there, and then we flew on down to our base and buzzed the field two times, and then we came on in and landed. The only time they came back together, and uh, they had called Colonel Davis to tell him that we were there, but he had some VIPs or something, and he didn't get out in time to see it. But I had 64 fighters all in tight formation flying right down, right on treetop level. <laughs> that, I thought, was my little accomplishment. Mm-hmm. You were shot down, Yes, I, we got into a little flack. But, uh, was it over the ocean? No, it was over Italy, northern Italy. I was coming back. Well, put it like this. Italy goes up at this angle and then curves on over to Yugoslavia. Well, it was up here on the way to Munich from southern Italy, straight north. But when coming back, I was coming back across the Adriatic. And when I had to leave the airplane, I was 15 miles from the coastline, trying my best to stretch it, make it, make it, make it, because we had lost nine guys in the uh, Adriatic and none of them uh, got back, so I didn't have any desire to go down in it, mm -hmm. although I could swim, but uh, I just wanted to make the coastline. If I could get close to it, I'd just go in and belly land. Nice and easy, you know, right on the beach. But uh, I saw the fire, and the fire was coming out right behind the prop. It was smoking and uh, sputtering and missing. But when I saw the fire, well, I had been burned. I wasn't too long out of the hospital. So I said, uh, I'm getting out of here. Right. <laughs> I got a fire, so I got to leave it. And Did you parachute? Uh, right, yes, I, they again were the exchange little things. One of our, my classmates, he told me that the Germans jettisoned their canopy and popped the stick forward and that sends the airplane down and it leaves them right up in the air clear. Mm -hmm. Getting out of a fighter was kind of hazardous. Mm -hmm. The bomber's got a nice door, you can jump out fine, but so 
he had mentioned this to me, so here's my time to uh, try it. And when I finally got the canopy open, this wasn't the bubble job, but it just fell off. I rolled it over, and I got a little past 90 degrees, popped the stick forward, and I don't remember anything except it seemed like someone just took the stick right out of my hand, and I was tumbling in the air. Just, I, I popped the stick, and the next thing I knew, I'm tumbling. I could see the sky, the water, and the mountains. And I was tumbling, tumbling. I got straight. He said, if you come to attention, you won't tumble. I came to attention and stopped tumbling. I said, hey, it works. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And then reached for my parachute, and as the story goes, I grabbed the oxygen mask and pulled it, fell a little while. <laughs> then it dawned on me that maybe the chute should have opened and I saw this oxygen mask in my hand. So I grabbed the ripcord the second time. <laughs> Not funny. No. Yes, yeah, uh, but I didn't have time to think because when the airplane started uh, c cutting out and missing and hitting, I knew I was in trouble and it was just a matter if I was going to make it or not. And I was trying to make it to the coastline. Did didn't you get a medal? No, I didn't get a medal. No, they didn't give you medals, or maybe what you should have, because I, I might have felt that I should have gotten a medal for bringing the group back together. <laughs> but, uh, no, we got medals generally by virtue of something more spectacular, like uh, shooting down an airplane or, uh, uh, well, we got air medals and clusters to it after so many missions. So many missions, you got a cluster to your air medal. Last so many more missions, you got another cluster, Oak Leaf Cluster for it. And so many missions, you went to the rest camp and uh, so forth. Chris, how'd you feel about your equipment? Did you feel like it the first airplanes we got were hand-me-downs. It seemed like they funneled through this favorite group first, and then... Favorite group? The 325th was a checkerboard squadron uh, group. The Tuskegee, you're talking? No. No, you're no. talking about the White. This is the okay. There were, we had four P-51 groups in the, in the field, mm -hmm. and ours had red tails, and there was one with yellow tails, one with a candy stripe and one was checkable. Well, this 325 seemed to have gotten preference on everything, mm -hmm. even, you know, with the other two. And uh, so the first airplanes we got were some of theirs. they all just getting 51s into the theater, but we're two months later, so we get some of their airplanes. And it was in one of these that I bailed out of. <laughs> but uh, then they started coming in brand new. And uh, when the war was over, I guess everybody was had all of the new planes. Um, all right. I'm missing some of my questions. Have questions. Uh, missions. 
I, I remember from talking to you before that there was a difference in the amount of missions that you had to fly to come home or to... Oh, yes. Uh, we didn't train too many pilots at Tuskegee for uh, a group of four squadrons. And plus they started a, a medium bummer outfit. So they split the class up. And anyway, we ended up having a sort of a shortage of pilots. Now in the first classes, they were washing guys out that were good because they had a quota. In the very beginning, we couldn't graduate with so many pilots for some reason. And now... So some, some of your men ended up flying bombers? Yes. They weren't in combat, though. Oh. This outfit never got out of the States, but they were trained. They were in training and were flying bombers, medium bombers. And, uh, but I was just saying that to say that all of a sudden we're in the middle of the war in combat and we can't get replacements. replacements. I, I'm, I'm really not sure why. They just got, they didn't they, enough of them? They were, they were, then they started uh, graduating bigger classes. Uh -huh. And, uh, but by this time, uh, everybody who was uh, eligible for flying was in the Army somewhere and was long gone. Uh -huh. So they, they really did they just, guys that were just out of high school maybe, or something like that. But there was a shortage, and uh, so I'm told that Colonel Davis was supposed to have requested that we be permitted to fly longer because he didn't want to have a complete turnover. That was the second reason, but it was probably a combination of both. We had a shortage of pilots. Now, right at the next airfield, 52nd Yellowtail, they had guys that were fighting to get on the, the, the uh, roster to fly. They were waiting around. They had too many pilots, but they couldn't integrate. <laughs> we flew 70 missions. The other groups flew 50. There's a lot of difference That's there. a big difference, yes. Big difference. Right. When did you begin? I don't mean to be personal, so it doesn't have to mm -hmm. be you. But, you know, when, when did you feel like, I think I've had enough, um, and... Strangely enough, uh, when I got back, I had intentions of staying in. Yeah, I was mm -hmm. going to ask you about that. Well, I was single and still fairly young. I think I was about 23, 24, and... Uh, I'd made captain, so I thought I could you know, well, slide on through the well, career, yeah. But uh, Congress cut the budget. The military, about like it is now, they had to cut it yeah. back. So they they just, just discharged wholesale. And I was discharged for the convenience of the government. Were you disappointed? Yes. I was disappointed because I, well, we'd taken examinations for the regular army, mm -hmm. 
and we were waiting and hoping, you know, just about like going to cadet training, we'd be we'd be called, uh, given a regular Army commission because we, our commissions were uh, the Army of the U.S. or something, just a temporary sort of a thing. But the regular Army commission, that put you on the road to a career. And the discharges came through and cut everything just about to the bone. But they called you back for Korea. Yes. Well, it was before that that they started taking guys back in because they found out they had cut out too many. The military, you know, had, uh, I guess they cut back to a certain point, but then the ones who were left started petering out or something. Anyway, they found out all of a sudden that they had overdone it, and they were calling guys back. I might eventually have gotten on active duty had there not been Korea because I had an application in. But in the meantime, I got married and had a baby, part of a baby. Part of a baby? Uh, well, I had one and there was another one on the way when I was recalled. That's what I meant, because <laughs> I had to ask. The second child was born up in Chicago at, at that's where I was stationed for. So a while. you could have stayed in for a couple of years in the regular, you would like that. No, to stay in, I would have been staying in for a total career. Total career. Yes. So you would have liked that. Yes, that was my preference. But but when you went back in for Korea, if you had wanted to, could you have stayed in? Yes, but it was uh, a little different. You had to re up after five years or something sort of like that. It wasn't indefinite. And, uh, but I elected to get out after Korea because I could see it wasn't, it wasn't gonna work out with a family. As a single person, uh, yes, and you can live in any condition. Like, uh, we, I was stationed up at O'Hare at Chicago and finding living quarters is a bit difficult for a married person. Uh, I, I wanted to make a note of uh, the fact that where you all were in Italy was Ramatali. That That's the, the uh, little village uh -huh. that we occupied. Okay. It wasn't much more than a villa and some outhouses and mm -hmm. so forth. But it was a big wheat field. And uh, what, what was it? It was near Naples? Or that? Oh uh, no! This was on the east coast. So where? It, what would what would it be near? Uh, the nearest town of size was Foggia. That was to the south, and then there was a big port further south called Bari. If you look at the map of Italy, they say it looks like a boot. Well, there's a little spur that stick out on the east coast. We were right out on that little spur. But you saw the world. Yes, from Greece all the way around to France. We flew all directions. You saw most of it from the sky. All of it. All of it. All of it. I got to Cannes, France, after the war on a five-day rest league and I got to Rome on a similar leave, I don't know if it was three or five, 
they had little leaves that they would give out and if you were lucky you got one and other than that though our rest camp in Naples was where I spent most of the playtime what did all of this like the army but it was uh, I knew that uh, when we were going into fighter training we were going into big I don't know why they didn't start us in something else but they started us out headed to the very top and that was inspiring to me from the very beginning but the fact that we succeeded wasn't exactly a surprise. Uh, I knew we could fly and I knew we were eager. You know, we had the spirit and everything. And I don't know how much the uh, General Hunter knew it, <laughs> but uh, I don't recall any real big uh, issue about breaking down anything at that time. Now, later on, I realized that it was more than, than I had thought about. We were really trying to survive, trying to get a, a promotion, uh, trying to live it up before we may be killed yeah, or something. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, was, was there pressure? Well, everybody is pressured or pressures themselves or some people don't, I guess, to do well. But what did you have did you have extra pressure? Uh, did you have pressure from the, your black superiors? Yes. Were they getting it from the white? Explain some of that to me. Okay, I don't know what Colonel Davis, he was Colonel at that time. I don't know what <coughs> pressure he was under. I think he was in a more acceptable position. And, uh, but being officers under him, he was a hard person. He was a bookman. He was like West Point. And he was afraid that we were going to mess up, maybe mess up his career. So he kept the iron fist on us, so to speak, as much as he could, but in combat and a bunch of individual fighter pilots, he, he had a hard thing. <laughs> it, it would probably have good that he wasn't tough as he was. Oh, yes, oh, yes. Some of the, well, like Pruitt, for instance, 
he might have done more if he, if he had had just complete freedom. And we all did do things, you know, that uh, would you say out of regulation. But uh, this business of staying with the bombers, for instance, because there are fighters out there, you can see them, enemy fighters, and you over here with the bombers. They'll go somewhere else. You could go after them, or if they hit us, we were supposed to ward them off, but not to follow them down to the deck. How is that? I mean, you're supposed to protect the bombers, and if they're attacking the bombers... No. No. If they attack the bombers, we attack them, or right. we try to attack them if they look like they're going to attack the bombers. But <clears throat> on a clear day, you can see 100 miles, and you'll see little specks off in the distance. So maybe they, because the bombers were protected by you all, they didn't bother. That's right. I see. But now, what's to stop uh, part of us... Uh, some of the guys from going out chasing them, and then some more follow, and the bombers would be left here without protection, and some more come from this other direction and hit the bombers. It's case often they try to decoy, you know, make a pass, and we're supposed to follow them down, and then some more will come in and hit the bombers. But uh, stay with the bombers, stay with the bombers. That. Uh, was what we had to do. And you did? Yes. yes. Never lost a bomber? No, no, not... That's not quite a, that's, that's quite an accomplishment. Right. Well, if you stay with them and do it according to the book, it works. Like... All right, Chris. Bailing out. <laughs> um, Roosevelt's death, does that matter we, a lot? Did it Make a difference? No, I don't think it made a difference as far as uh, our progress one way or the other. I don't know. I mean, personally or? or oh, yes. Well, <coughs> we felt, well, we thought we had lost a friend. Yeah. But uh, at the time, we were still, let me see, the war was just about over, mm -hmm. pardon me, but I April, don't think it was April, quite yet. And I know that, that it, it, for all practical purposes, it, 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 the enemy had been defeated. It just all shooting hadn't stopped. And uh, when he died, well, it's kind of hard. I don't know how to describe when the president dies. Anyway, you know, it's uh, mm -hmm. that's a big, big thing. And the fact that he had been responsible, it was under his regime, that we got this praise. He was a friend. Uh, we missed him. <laughs> what about uh, when the song was dropped in Hiroshima? Uh, well, that ended the war. I don't know, but I think that war was won when they dropped the bomb. Okay, so then you came home? Came home and everything was just lovely. Everything's in bloom. I I was running my poor self night and day, trying to make up for the three years I'd been 
the way. Did, did anybody get to see you in your uniform? Oh, yes, we, <laughs> we were in uniform. We, we, we got 45 day leave when we got home. Oh, and uh, I spent 45 days out being seen. <laughs> and loving it. <laughs> right. And I, uh, I had a good time that 45 days. In fact, we uh, had to report to South Carolina, and it was pretty close to Christmas by this time. So we asked for additional leave to uh, be at home for Christmas. They gave it to us. About six or seven of us here in St. Louis at that time. And so we came home for another two weeks and then back to duty. Did the black community uh, or your churches or, or was there any recognition of what you had done? Did you feel it in uh, St. Louis? It was, but it was, but not. Uh, there was no organized anything. We were more or less on our own, our own churches, our, mm -hmm. our own uh, social circles, or whatever. And uh, they had a big day here for, for, for Wendell Pruitt when he came home. Real big day. Mm -hmm. they, they gave him the raw treatment. Why was that? Oh, well, like I say, he was our most glamorous pilot. And, uh, was he an ace? No. 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 To be an ace, you have to shoot down five enemy airplanes in aerial combat. I see. And uh, he had three. I see. So, so I then I don't really know why the he got all I, th I thought he was an ace and that's why he got oh he's been referred to as an ace he was our ace so to speak he was our ace pilot you know our number yeah. one just like that but uh, as far as the records go you've got to get five enemy kills to become an ace to be officially called an ace I've had people call me an ace on my job when I was down there. I've had people refer to you as a hero. Yeah, I don't know where to get that. Well, I don't know. I think it comes from Jessica Pruitt. I think oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she thinks you're a hero. I think. And I think you are, too. <laughs> I do. I think that the claim to fame, as you say, um, shooting down those two planes, I think to, to love what you love, and to be able to go and do it, and to, to go over there and come home. I, I, I just think everybody deserves a lot of credit. And, and it's just, uh, Couldn't I have been just a little selfish in that I love flying so that I sure. would have done anything? Sure. I think that's <laughs> even more wonderful to, to be good at something that you love mm. and to get the opportunity to do it. Um, how did you find St. Louis when you got back? Was it was it different? The black community had anything changed? Uh, How do you feel the war well, the, had an effect on the black community? The old neighborhoods were breaking down, and blacks were moving out from what I, you know, left, mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, people seem to have been doing better financially. 
because, I guess, of the war jobs and whatnot, and uh, women working, a tremendous amount of money compared to what had been in the, in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So it was, things were easy, good times, so to speak. Uh, times weren't bad, I'll put it like that. And uh, I don't know, but it was, I guess it was back to civilian life. I was still trying to maintain uh, some chance of staying on regular uh, active duty, uh, be, uh, you know, getting to the regular Air, air Corps. But uh, I'm sure it was much different. I just maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was. Uh, that's what I'm asking. Some some people say it was. Some people say that the war didn't do all those things for the black community. Oh, the, oh, yeah. you mean like uh, the, uh, uh, well, say like the uh, opportunities yeah. and oh, that was better. Was that was that? better, yes. I hate to say it, but it seems like we make giant steps in wars. And maybe we slip back a little between wars. But, uh... Where did you see the giant steps, Chris? Oh, well, God, I don't know. Things breaking down, like segregation to a certain extent. Uh, the... Hmm. It's hard to remember back, I know. Yes, well, the little things that you, you want specific instances. Well, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll try for some. Uh, um, could you could you go any place then that, that you, after the war that you could have gone before? Had those kind of barriers begun to break in? Movies or? No, movies were still segregated drive-in that came up about that time wasn't. <clears throat> I remember uh, eating downtown. It was then, I think, Sticks, Baron Fuller. They had a restaurant down there. And this little girl that I was with, uh, took me down there. We were, I don't know, I, how anyway we ended up going there eating. This and is to the regular restaurant, not the counter. No, this is the regular restaurant. Uh -huh. And uh, I guess it was sticks and I don't think it was that other store that uh, Scrubs. Scrubs. Might have been one of the two. Mm -hmm. I couldn't keep them apart too much because I never paid too much attention. But uh, that was a, a, a something that was was new. Uh, yes, that uh, I never would have gone in there before. Mm -hmm. I didn't see one of those. Were you in uniform? No. I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Chris, did you use the GI Bill? No. I started back over the stove to get really tested myself. I, I've been gone, I, I don't know. And I took a little Veterans Administration examination 
And I told them that I was interested in engineering. So they told me that when you come in talking about engineering, their first uh, thought is to just discourage you. And uh, so they gave me a bunch of tests. I took, I don't know, I went back a couple of days taking different little tests. Some of it, it was manual dexterity and different things. And I ended up getting approved for <coughs> engineering. Mm -hmm. And on the GI Bill, GI. I went back to Stowe Teachers College. I said, I don't know. I was afraid that I would be too far behind and I didn't want to go. I was freaking on going to Chicago. Uh, and uh, that's when I met my wife and got married terminated everything. <laughs> Falling in love sometimes does that. <laughs> I was trying to work at the post office and have social life and go to school and I found myself bumming out on all three of them. Why, why did you decide, you know, I think answer you don't want to, of course, but why didn't you choose to use the GI I was saving it. I was saving it. Uh, there was no tuition stowed to amount to anything. I think it was about twenty dollars. It was state uh, control, state supported, or state run. It was administered by the public schools, St. Louis Public Schools, but the state paid for it. And uh, I don't think teachers, the, uh, the girls, had to pay anything. But me being in pre-engineering, uh, uh, as a junior college, I had to, I think the pay, I believe it was, so I didn't use the GI Bill, I was going to wait and use it where it would have been better used, because for $20 I wouldn't, wouldn't waste my uh, entitlement. That was my intention. Any words of wisdom? Any well, more words of wisdom? Uh, if you don't ask questions, I, I don't have much to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been wonderful about answering all my questions, and I appreciate it because every time we've called upon you, you have come through for us, and I you, uh, appreciate that. You, in a way that uh, sounds like Vesta, she's always complimenting me on never saying no. You know, whenever mm -hmm. she asks, she's got to go to this place and that and that, and that. She said, you never said no yet. And uh, I guess I feel indebted in a way, because the mural represents something that I had been trying to, not a mural to say, but just something so that we wouldn't be forgotten. And she came along and, and they uh, put it up I was we're speaking, I'm talking to the tape now, we are speaking of the mural at Lambert Field uh, that depicts the black Americans in flight and Vesta Pruitt uh, was more of the, the driving force behind getting it done and it is magnificent. And 
Christian, you had a lot to do with it too. Yes, I had a little input. I uh, was sort of a referee at times between the artists and the committee, and even between the members of the committee. And they all referred to me as uh, a consultant of some sort. I would help the artist out with something uh, technical on the painting. And uh, I don't know what service I was to the committee. That sounds to me like you might, might have been like a pastor. A referee. <laughs> a referee. Well, I think, I think when people look up to someone like yourself for a different reason, because you are an authority on that subject of the Tuskegee Airmen, and that's what it was about, and uh, also the way you handled yourself as far as people, and you could probably get people to listen. And, uh, probably, you know, everybody everybody has their niche, and, uh, and there's a need for all different kinds. But it is, it must have been a glorious day, and that was unveiled. Oh, it was. I, I mean, I was there, but I mean, for me, but for you. Yes, definitely. I was really happy, very, very uh, pleased. I'd had some differences with them on it in spots, mm -hmm. but uh, it was nothing compared to the, the elation of the uh, feeling that I got. And I believe everybody else did, too, because I could kind of feel the people, you know, they, oh. It, it is, mm -hmm. it's striking, I think the, the I interviewed Spencer Taylor, and I thought even when you, well, maybe I'll reserve some of these comments when the tape is off. I think it might be better. <laughs> 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 make, make no comparison. But just to say that it, what was it? It took some, what, a couple, how many years did it take from? I think from the very beginning of the issue, it was about six. But I think they actually were working on it about four from the time that they really started and uh, unveiled it. I think it was about four years ago. I, I um, felt that uh, I think the, the spot that it's in is the perfect spot. That's beautiful. And I've had people that complained about it. In what way? I don't know. They thought that there should have been in a better spot. I don't know where they could have found a better spot. I don't need it because as you come to get your luggage, you walk right past it as you come go to the TWA. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's right. Thing, you walk right past the light. I don't know where it was. But it's a very good spot. And I think it's good that it's near the other one. Yes. Um, I really wanted to, I interviewed Dustin and Mr. Taylor because I thought that it would be, it was important to have some explanation of what it was all about because in, in a number of years, uh, which is why it's important to do this kind of interviewing, uh, people might wonder why there was a black mural and why there was a white mural and the black one was done in 1980, long after the supposedly all the integration was over with, and this way there'll be an explanation of why this was done in the 80s. And, um, 
Well, the issue came up as an oversight, and uh, they felt that it should be corrected in some way, but when the artist died, it sort of uh, nullified the chance to uh, add someone to the original mill, and they ended up I think there was an argument about how many to put on another spot, and they ended up uh, with the, the 51 feet of uh, mural space mm -hmm. that they were allowed to use. Much better than an addition. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. This way you've got included all black Americans. Right, they could start from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. through to the space age. Uh, I was thinking about that Eugene Bullock. I read his book recently. The very first guy on it that flew in France in World War One. Mm -hmm. He has a book and uh, the story of his life is something else. <laughs> he, he went through some changes. Did he? Yes. Um, I, I just want to thank you for all the things that you've done because what you've done has helped us all, especially during the war. And I would think it would be a very fine thing to feel that you were Tuskegee Airmen and you told us all about what it was. So. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much.